latest Fifth Step podcast. Today, I'll be interviewing Fifth Step CEO Darren Ray, and I'll be asking him about his thoughts on the changing role of the CIO. Darren and I visited the reinsurance rendezvous in Monte Carlo last week, and in our various conversations with senior business leaders and underwriters, it became clear to us that technology uh, is now being viewed as a profit as opposed to savings generator. So, Darren, why is that perception growing? I think it's probably for a number of reasons, Chris. I think, um, you know, I've, I've long talked about the need to have IT as an asset as opposed to a cost to the business, and that's increasingly becoming the, uh, the case. The role for IT in uh, product development, and particularly in the insurance and financial services industry, has really now, um, or is really now coming to the fore. Uh, the ability for um, for firms to uh, come up with a new idea or a new way of uh, approaching a traditional um, insurance product um, uh, enables them to um, leapfrog ahead of the uh, of their competition in some instances, mm-hmm. and that's really why IT is becoming more and more of a uh, a profit centre as opposed to, as you say, a cost. In fact, there's a uh, a recent CIO survey uh, which is worth um, referencing actually, where um, is about. 40% of um, uh, IT leaders uh, are spending um, more uh, more than a day a week outside of the outside of their traditional IT. Right. Now that means that they're not just focusing on IT; they're actually fo- uh, focusing on the business, if there is such a thing anymore as uh, you know as, as business and I was IT. Going to say the boundaries well. seem to have blurred entirely. I mean, it's, is there is there a divide anymore? I mean, it seems seems to me increasingly clear now that IT is being seen as, as a strategic asset really yeah and that's I mean and that's uh, that's exactly what it should be and what it really always should have been um, you know and the role of the CIO changes now so that they're more involved with um, with their with their colleagues more and more CIOs are reporting um, you know directly uh, uh, directly into the CEO and are part of um, the board of all of most organizations now mm-hmm. um, so with that change that means that you know, innovation um, um, from an IT perspective and from a business perspective um, really rests with those uh, re- with the C-suite, and the CIO is playing that important part within um, you know within that uh, uh, that new role. Yeah, yeah. But so, how, how does how, how does a modern day CIO interact with, with other parts of the business? I mean, say compared to five or ten years ago, uh, the way they would have you know, reported in or talked to the, the, the chief executive officer or the C three, how has that role evolved? Well, I guess I, I would say that good CIOs have always um, worked closely with um, you know their business colleagues, as it was um, it, as it was t- typically uh, called um, you know ten fifteen years ago certainly, um, but. Increasingly now, the IT is seen as being part of the business, not a separated part of the business. So, um, you know, a good CIO, I believe, actually sees himself embedded in the business. Is working closely with, you know, their C-suite colleagues and you know, and other parts of the business. You know, to be um, um, to understand the business and actually understand how um, their um, their department, the IT department, can actually. Um, leverage their skills and knowledge into bringing um, more innovation and more agility to the business. That's a, a real key aspect that we heard, um, you know, repeated time and time again in the conversations that we had. Um, you know, where 
um, you know, the, the C-suite wanted agility, they wanted speed, they wanted not just uh, speed of doing the same things quicker, but actually uh, to be able to try things uh, more quickly, you know, to try and possibly fail or to learn the lessons that needed to be learned, as opposed to just um, you know, having a uh, you know a six month or you know worst uh, worst case six year. You know, hopefully there aren't yeah. too many of those going on these days. But you know, having a an extended project though, that at the end of it they learn a lesson that actually it's not worked. Um, you know, organisations want to try things now. They want to try things quickly, and they want to learn the lessons uh, from those um, from those experiences quickly too. So there must be a lot for a modern day CIO to absorb. I mean, what you're saying there is that they have, they have to increasingly understand their business, the needs of the business in the, in the wider sense, in a, in a holistic, strategic sense. But at the same time, they're having to understand that the world outside that, which is growing more and more complex, I mean, how, how can they manage all the different complexities of their job? Because surely it's far too much of a burden for one CIO to, to fully comprehend and, and absorb. Yeah, I, and I think the honest answer, Chris, is that they um, they can certainly manage it in, in, in terms of actually providing IT leadership, but you know the teams beneath um, the CIO are getting broader and more varied in their you know in their skill sets, and the 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 tricky aspect of that is that most CIOs um, believe that they don't have enough people. Um, I think um, the statistics I read were around about 65% of CIOs uh, believe they don't have the right number of pe uh, people within right. their team to actually provide uh, the service uh, or to do the job that they need to do. And that's why that many, you know, many organisations are looking for, um, you know, co-sourcing as a, yeah. uh, uh, you know, as an opportunity to actually um, mitigate the challenges that they've got right here, right now, and um, you know, a way of, um, of building out the expertise within their own team. You know, um, um, you know, because of co-sourcing, as we spoke about in the last podcast, just for anyone who who hasn't yet uh, listened to that one. Um, you know, co-sourcing is uh, great because it allows um, your in-house team um, to work with uh, an, uh, an external, with external expertise um, to actually, A, increase the, uh, the knowledge within the in-house team, yep. um, but also to have that external view that really, um, you know, doesn't come with the baggage that, uh, that perhaps exists from an internal perspective. Sure. We're very much in a, uh, a digital economy these days, aren't we? And I've, I've noticed... Um, a statistic that 35% of IT leaders have now developed an enterprise-wide digital strategy, uh, which is great, but that's only 35%. So mm -hmm. we're talking about 65% of uh, people out there haven't, haven't implemented that or possibly haven't even started. So how, how, do, you, how do you begin that? Uh, that's a good uh, question, uh, Chris. And I think um, the financial services teams, um, you know, in IT um, and, the, and, you know, the rest of... Um, the organisation struggle um, sometimes to understand you know, what a digital strategy is. And I think that's the first starting point really is to actually understand how you want to leverage and how you want to uh, make the most out of um, the, the, the digital economy. Now, if you're selling direct to consumer, um, you know, if you're selling life or motor business, for example, it can be a very different proposition than if you're, um, you know, uh, more B2B um, insurance, um, you know, and how you're working with your, um, with the broker, for example, how claims are processed. And increasingly, you know, there's means and mechanisms of providing, um, you know, electronic data transfer. There are, you know, there's the, um, the target operating model for uh, for London, uh, Tom, yeah. um, which uh, obviously uh, looks to implement 
um, electronic data transfer as uh, you know, at its core. Yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So uh, providing all of that um, electronically is a you know, whilst not considered necessarily um, uh, a traditional part of the digital economy, it's really about uh, being able to transfer data, being able to use external data, uh, being able to make contact with the uh, the, the direct customer as well. But that varies between organisation to organisation. So there's never a one-size-fits-all um, digital strategy. It is a piece of work that needs to be done by the organisation in the same way that a business strategy needs to be done by the, um, the by the organisation. You know, um, you wouldn't take a, a boilerplate uh, business strategy off the shelf and um, and just run with that. The very uh, the very least you're going to be doing some work to actually tailor it to your own uh, specific requirements. Sure. Obviously, the the upside of uh Digital is the the massive opportunity, but clearly there's a downside to that. There always is. There's always a risk, and I suppose the primary risk that uh, anyone can see at the moment is the cyber, uh, the cyber aspect and the disruption that that might cause. Hmm. So, um, is that, no, is it possible? I guess it is possible. How, how do CIOs plan for that downside risk? You know, in this this enhanced digital economy that we're operating, it's um, it's the things that uh, well that you and I have um, spoken about a number of times, Chris. Actually, it's um, you know it's going back to the basics. It's making sure that you've um, that you've done a cyber assessment. It's uh, making sure that you've got the the policies and the procedures in place. It's making sure that you've got an incident response plan in place. It's um, you know it, it, it's no more simple or complex than that. It's really about a little bit of preparation Preparation and um, being, um, you know, looking at what scenarios may actually impact the business. Now, interestingly, 28% of CIOs, and I'm a little bit surprised it's quite as low because I've seen much higher figures than this. But 20, uh, 28% of CIOs actually report that they've um, had to deal with a um, cyber incident over the last um, uh, couple of years. Um, but I've certainly seen. Um, you well, know, there was some, some also on the way in, in the train this morning when I was uh, looking at City AM, hmm. um, and I just read out this paragraph on the page three of the, of the newspaper, the twentieth of September. Uh, new research reveals ninety-two percent of business leaders say their firms have suffered a cyber attack in the last five years, hmm. but remain complacent about such threats. Yeah. Um, uh, they're, 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 they're quite happy to suffer a, a cyber attack. I mean, what, how, can, how can we transform those kind of attitudes? Well, I, th I think it's when it really starts to um, really starts to bite. And I guess um, with statistics as high as ninety two percent, I would um, I would guess that um, um, things that are being included there are you know um, uh, viruses that uh, perhaps haven't um, uh, caused any uh, major damage, but they have been acted as an inconvenience or or something along those lines. Um, it's really you know the financial services um, um, sector uh, and many other sectors trade on reputation, and mm. you know a big part of a uh, of a cyber attack can actually be uh, the reputational damage that the organisation. Um, suffers some, you know, some organisations really struggle to get that back. You know, they've worked a, a, a lifetime, if you like, um, to actually build up a good reputation, and that can be, um, you know, destroyed by, um, you know, um, a, a few hackers actually um, stealing data and then distributing that data and identifying it as having come from that organisation. Sure, but even the uh, the government. I mean, uh, in the same City AM article, and again, I'm going to read it out, but a digital. In this same article, Digital Minister Matt Hancock, um, in this article, branded the Cyber Essentials Scheme, now I quote, the equivalent to putting your takings in the safe and locking the door to the office. 
and called for more businesses to sign up. So according to him, if you sign up to Cyber Essentials, you're completely safe and but no worries. Is that is that is that right? Well, Cyber Essentials is a you know is a good um, is absolutely a good starting point, and you know it's it's um, being endorsed by. Um, um, you know, by uh, Lloyd's as part of their minimum standard, so it's absolutely um, you know the right starting point. Um, and you know, I think um, what the minister says there is um, you know is quite correct. You know, we wouldn't leave the cash out on the table. Um, you know, and therefore you should lock it in the safe. And um, but locking it in the safe isn't the first, uh, or it isn't the only thing that you do. It may be the first thing that you do. Um, you know, you'd also um, you know deposit in a bank account and 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 have other steps that you would take um, to ensure the safety. So. Um, in the same way, Cyber Essentials is a great thing. If you've got nothing in place at all, Cyber Essentials should be, um, you know, you should definitely uh, investigate that further. But there yeah. are other frameworks that will take it further and actually help you uh, be even more protected, um, you know, as the organisation um, and its um, recognition of um, cyber risk matures. Mm. Obviously, we're in a period of great change, um, a very volatile uh, and complex era uh, in, the, in the 21st century now. Uh, the challenge of change is uh, something that we've talked about before. We had a, a, held a seminar on the theme a few weeks ago. Um, and I believe that, uh, well, in that sort of environment, apparently 47 or well, nearly half of projects that are, uh, that are concluded are considered to be a failure. Um, yep. So, I mean, what's the, what's the process to, you know, improving on that pretty no poor number. Yeah, I, um, you're right. It is a poor number, and I think um, there are a number of um, aspects that go towards, or that organisations can can do to improve their um, their ability to um, successfully deliver projects. Um, part of that actually is having good governance at the outset, um, making sure that um, you know they have the right sponsorship and ownership and that there's a good business case for the project in the outset because if there's not a good business case then um, you know the project may well be um, and probably is doomed from the outset you have to have um, you know good uh, a good business case to actually understand why you're doing the project and that enables you to understand when it is going to be a success um, yes. you know what success looks like um, alongside of that um, I would always um, suggest um, having um, you know experienced project managers um, you know, or a project manager who is um, um, proportionate to the size of and budget of uh, of the project and the importance of the uh, of the project that you're actually implementing. You know, some of the biggest challenges um, are around um, you know ERP rollouts. I mean, they're fairly legendary in being uh, uh, in being uh, a little bit uh, tricky, but also in implementing. Um, finance um, systems, um, you know, that's something that um, we at Fifth Step have done a lot of work, um, you know, helping organisations with um, in the past. But so why is enterprise uh, resource planning so, so uh, or ERP as, as you call as you mm -hmm. it, why is that such a difficult challenge? Um, because it brings many aspects of the business um, uh, together historically. Um, organisations um, have historically liked to run uh, things the the way exactly the way that they will, uh, want to, and most of the ERP systems or many of the ERP systems um, are, are complex beasts, and they can be configured to work in you know in more or less any way. Um, but um, very often, the uh, the consequences of um, you know of, of changing things around and having a complex configuration. Um, Increase the risks of the project, and that's um, yeah. you know, and that happens, um, you know, that happens, um, a, you know, a lot. And I think there was, um, it was uh, fifty-six percent of those projects are um, are unsuccessful, um, you know, 
um, and I think it's a similar, around about a similar uh, figure. In fact, I think it's um, 53% of finance uh, system implementation. So over half of finance systems uh, implementations uh, fail. Um, you know, or not considered to be successful. Um, so it's not so just a processes and, and procedures thing, is it? Because I think one of the things that we talked about in, in the previous podcast was the talking about the the cyber resource and the, you know the, the premium that's being attached to people who can offer their services as a, as a cyber expert. Hmm. And I guess that touches on you know the issue of uh, the challenge of not just the challenge of change, but the cha- challenge of finding talent really, I and mean, that's a which is a topic you touched on last week when we were at Monte Carlo you were interviewed mm-hmm. by Global Reinsurance and it is a bit of a challenge isn't it at the moment not just for say insurers and underwriters attracting say for example new talent into the industry mm-hmm. uh, and I, I imagine that would be the same for the, the world of technology and IT as well. Oh absolutely is I mean um, um, yeah finding finding the right people has always been you know a, a, a tricky aspect and uh, you know we've all um, you know, hired people. And, uh, you know, indeed, ourselves gone through the interview process and um, you know, and and, and joined organisations. So, um, but it's typically a, you know a long and and um, you know expensive uh, route. And finding the right people and um, you know finding people who are aligned with um, the organisation's ambitions and aspirations and its current needs. Um, you know, are a, you know is a challenge and and one that organisations are you know constantly um, you know uh, stepping up to and stepping into. You can you make know. a mistake as well, I suppose. It's, it's, it must be a, from that perspective. You can go for the whole interviewing process, and at the end of it, it doesn't work out on either side. So I guess this is where presumably the co-sourcing aspect is. Mm. You know, comes in. Well, it's really the you know um, the right sourcing, whether it be co-sourcing mm. or whether it be in-house yeah. or whether it be outsourcing in um, you know in some respects it really comes back to that previous podcast uh, Chris really and you know resourcing is a spectrum yeah and you have to um, think about um, and look at what the uh, the most important aspects are for the particular role some roles need a full-time employee sometimes it's a part-time employee other roles can be that little bit more flexible or actually demand that flexibility the ability for you to flex up or flex down and to be able to um, you know, put the right resources in the right location um, at, at the right time for the right duration. Whether that duration be a you know a day a week or a day a month, um, you know, it really comes down to having the right people, you know, at the right time. You know, hiring people is expensive. I wouldn't argue that it's the right thing to do. Um, you know, yes. in numerous situations, I, I you know I would never advocate everyone uh, you know having no employees. That doesn't work at all. Sure, sure. I suppose it's about resource and it's about investment, isn't it? I mean. Uh, so part of the, the CIO uh, responsibility and the, the difficulty they must have now across so many different as, uh, areas of IT is where to allocate their resources and their investment. I mean, what, what are the areas that you're finding are investing at the moment? For example, is, is cloud something that people are looking into um, in, a, in a great way? Yeah, absolutely it is. I mean, cloud is, um, um, you know, in certain sectors has been... Um, you know, you know, has been dominant for uh, for some time. Um, in the financial services sector, um, I think uh, um, that sector and um, less so legal sector that we do. We you know we tend to deal with those, both of those sectors quite heavily. So, um, um, financial services has definitely been um, slower um, to uh, take on um, 
you know, cloud services, um, that's changing. I mean, that's most definitely changing, and we're seeing more and more organisations now um, switching to um, you know things like Office 365 as their mail provider, as opposed to running you know Microsoft Exchange and or, or an in-house mail system. Um, you know, increasingly, increasingly now uh, they're seeing that as the um, uh, a cost-effective route in in some uh, aspects. Um, in certain aspects, it's um, you know providing uh, greater um, features and functionality. Although um, typically uh, that's not the the primary reason for moving to cloud, uh, but most of all it adds uh, you know resiliency and right. um, you know running things that um, you know uh, just to carry on uh, to carry on picking on. Um, you know, uh, mail servers. You know, mail servers are not a business differentiator any longer. You know, it is something that um, you know the likes of My Microsoft with their Office 365 um, service, um, you know, can uh, run effectively and efficiently for you. Um, you know, and um, they can do so with a um, you know with far greater resiliency very often than um, than your in-house team uh, can do. Sure. It frees up your in-house team to work on the things that you need them to work on, as opposed to you know keeping the Exchange servers up and running. Okay, okay, well, well, interesting stuff. Well, thanks very much, Darren. I think that you know, pretty much concludes what we wanted to talk about today. Uh, lots of uh, good uh, food for thought there for uh, CIOs and, and aspiring CIOs. So, uh, thanks again. Uh, and uh, for, to all our listeners, uh, thanks very much for uh, downloading this podcast uh, and all the other podcasts you've been downloading over the last three or four months. Uh, so, to find out more about Fifth Step, and our latest thoughts, you can also uh, visit www.fifthstep.com uh, and there's lots of interesting thought leadership going on there. We've covered many of the issues that we've spoken about today. So once again, Darren Ray, thank you very much. Thanks, Chris.